Ryan Reese. This is Live with Ryan Reese. Call now, 1-888-564-6173. Or post your questions using the hashtag LiveRyanReese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. What up, family? I'm excited to be doing another show this Saturday night, hanging out with all you guys. Whether you're driving or you're tuning in to the live webcast at ryan-reese.com, I would suggest that you stay tuned because tonight I've been waiting for this interview for months. Um, I have uh, Brett Kunkel in studio. He's the founder of Maven, and I seen him at a, a conference. I don't know. How many months ago was that? It was last September. I think it's been that long. Yeah, it's taken us a while to connect, so this is good. So I was at this youth conference over here at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and I went to this room, and it was this, uh, it was, it was, um, the whole thing was basically on technology and the effects it's having, screens and technology that it's having on this generation. Yep. And I, you know, that's something I'm very interested in because obviously, as I tour high schools, um, and I'm up to tune with all the statistics, and we know that anxiety and depression. I always talk about this stuff mm-hmm. on the radio show because there are a lot of students that do tune in from the high schools that we're going to and the middle schools. And then also, this is the show is also syndicated across the United States, and we have a lot of parents also that listen. So it's 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 a mixed uh, crowd. But yes, I mean, if Time Magazine keeps ranting and raving about depression and suicide and technology is just at an all-time high that means we have a big problems and this is why i keep talking about it but the reason why i wanted you to come in is because you deal with this this is what you study this is what you do why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your company why you founded it a little background on what you do yeah well i uh i actually grew up in the church um and just had such a good experience growing up in the church, being part of really good churches, a really good youth ministry, actually became a student leader in my youth ministry when I was a high school student and thought, I'm going to go into full-time ministry. I'm going to be a youth pastor, you know, uh, uh, when I graduate from college. And then I go off to college my freshman year, and I went to a local junior college here in Southern California for the first two years, and I took a philosophy 101 class. Mm-hmm where I had a professor, right, who's the PhD, he's the smart guy, and for that whole semester of Philosophy 101, he just dismantled my faith. Really? He just, he wrecked me, and he would challenge uh, uh, Christianity in class, and then, and he was cool about it. He'd, like, look at me and say, hey, Brett, we know you're a Christian, so, like, how would you answer this, this difficult challenge or question? And I would sit there and I'd be like, Dr. Lane, I, I have nothing to say. <laughs> yeah. But what I would do is I'd start going to his, his office afterwards to try and to debate him because I knew what he was saying was – it was serious stuff. If he was, uh, was kind of destroying Christianity and I had no response, right. well, then I'm thinking uh, maybe, maybe I got I to gotta re- reconsider this. Maybe, maybe walk away from it if it's not true. Right. So that whole thing sent me on this serious – episode of doubt where I was doubting my faith and and then going and saying hey all right can these questions be answered I mean is is the Bible historically historically reliable uh, I mean does, does, do miracles really happen did Jesus really rise from the dead 2,000 years ago does God even exist and and I just discovered that there are so many good answers to those kind of questions and then it opened up this larger world of really using my mind when it comes to my faith, like bringing the heart and the head together, knowing what I believe and why I believe it. And what that did for me was it took that doubt that I had and it turned it into confidence. 
that this stuff is really true, that Jesus is really risen from the dead, and that he is transforming lives. And um, and so that was kind of my story. So then I went in and became a youth pastor, worked well, with youth. Before you talk about that part, yeah. there are tons of students that go to college that get dismantled. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, that's just like, I mean, I've heard so many stories. They go full-on Christians, and then they lose their faith. Yeah. They get dismantled, and they there's nobody to help them, or they never find any answers. They don't discover some of the tools that we have, things like apologetics, which is right. just giving reasons for why we put our hope in this stuff. And, uh, and they think, well, that's just blind, irrational faith, I guess, because there's no answers to these challenges. And they walk away because God has made us as rational beings. Like, we've got to make sense of the world. Right. If something doesn't make sense, then we usually just discard it. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, when young people who go off to college don't have those answers for those challenges that they're going to get, and not only are they getting the intellectual challenges, they're getting the moral challenges, right? So they're seeing then other alternative lifestyles. Or they're seeing the hookup culture. They're seeing casual sex and, and, and people living that out. So then there's temptation and a, combined with their faith getting smashed intellectually, and they're out. They bounce. And, um, and w- w- what they don't realize is that we have solid answers. And, um, and, and doubt actually can be a tool that God uses to build your faith. So, yeah, we, we've got to do a better job of helping young people explore those questions, give them, give them the space right. to ask whatever question they want. Like no question is off limits. I tell that to my own kids. Yeah. Um, I got five kids and I'm like, wow. hey, whatever question you want, <laughs> that's right. That's amazing. Um, so then from there you went to, uh, you went to become a youth pastor? Yeah, uh, got into youth ministry, mm-hmm. started working with junior hires, high schoolers, college students uh, for 11 years. And then, um, and then really wanted to figure out how I could even more effectively equip young people to know what they believe and why they believe it. And to think more carefully about how if Christianity is true, if Jesus is risen, if, if, if the Bible is the authority, it's God's word, then how does it apply to every single area of my life? Not just like my quote-unquote uh, relationship with Jesus or my quote-unquote faith or my personal private you know kind of box over here. But how does it actually relate to things like my, my studies at school? So when I study history, like what does Christianity have to say about that? When I study psychology, what does Christianity have to say about it? When I study business, what are the insights? How does it – if all truth is God's truth, then it, Christianity will be relevant to every single area of my life. And that's what kind of that process did was open me up to this like thoughtful – deep faith in Christ. And I just began to see all of reality through my Christian worldview, through the truth of Christianity. And so, you know, like some of the stuff that we're going to talk about tonight, social media, technology, uh, screens, is, is there... Does Jesus have something to say about this? Does does uh, common sense have something to say about this? Is does reality, uh, you know, how does reality inform us on this? You know, so how does Christianity relate to every single area of our lives? And so that's kind of what I want to do. And I got involved with a ministry called Stand to Reason for 14 years, and then last fall we started Maven, which is uh, we wanted to focus just directly on students, junior high, high school, college students, just the next generation. And then also the people who are training them, parents 
and youth leaders and pastors. So what, what, so what do you guys do exactly? Like, I mean, you're pouring into these high school students. What does that look like? Yeah, so we, we, so we just launched in, in September, so we're brand new. Um, where do they so, find, where do, can people find you online? Yeah, so our website is maventruth.com. And right now it's our initial website. We've got some good friends that are building us uh, a new website as we speak. We're uh, hoping to launch that in the next two to three weeks. I uh, got a phone call uh, th- on Monday about kind of last details. And, um, and what we want to do, one of the things we want to do is provide virtual training, online resources. Sick. That's amazing. Videos, um, uh, podcasts, even stu- uh, some student podcasts. I'm talking to students who are now listening more and more to podcasts. Yeah. Uh, short videos, um, uh, articles, all kinds of online training for students and, and, and getting them to think carefully about, you know, whether or not this stuff is even true. And, uh, and then uh, live events. So that's speaking. I do a ton of speaking, but also we do conferences for students and, uh, we, we're doing those around the country and we also do parent conferences as well. And then lastly, we have, uh, our third strategy is what we call immersive experiences. And these are pretty radical trips. These, these are trips where we take like a, a youth group or we work with a Christian school, but we work with a group of, of, of Christians who really want to explore and know what they believe and why they believe it. And so we study worldview, we study culture, we study apologetics, and we do training. And then we go, we have two trips right now. One is to Berkeley, California. And Berkeley is, you know, a radical place. And what we do is we train students, we go to Berkeley, and then we create opportunities for them to talk to people who don't believe what we believe. So I've got some good atheist buddies up there. I bring them out, and they challenge these Christian students, to, and they'll kind of give their atheist arguments, and then we'll let the students dialogue and debate, and it's civil and it's friendly, but then it really challenges students, and then afterwards, we just kind of debrief and like, okay, what did you think about that? And what were the flaws in the argument? What were, you know, what were the things you had trouble answering? And we help them see that Christianity can stand up to all kinds of questioning, even from the most hardcore atheist. And then we go on a Berkeley st- uh, campus, and we talk to Berkeley students, and students get to share, share the gospel, they get to share the truth, they get to have really thoughtful conversations. Uh, we also do a second trip to Salt Lake City, Utah, where we, we train students to know what they believe, what Scripture teaches, theology and doctrine, these great truths that tell us about God and about Christ and what He's done for us. And we study those things, and then we go to Utah and we talk to Mormons, go to downtown Salt Lake, visit the temple, talk to the missionaries, go to uh, BYU, go talk to college students there. And uh, basically, it's just getting this stuff out of, like, behind the four walls of the church and into real life. That's amazing. So we we do those trips um, in those two locations, and then we're building out two new trips, one on the east—oh, actually, both on the east coast, one in hopefully North Carolina, and then one in the Atlanta area. You know, it's interesting because uh, you could talk to, like, I have some different friends who are involved with different religions, and they know so much, but it seems like there's a very lackadaisy vibe in, in Christianity where yeah. people don't care to, they don't know their, their Bibles. Yeah, they, what we know about young people, uh, and, and this is, it, it cuts across um, religions. When you look at some studies, like Christian Smith was a sociologist, did a major study on this, but what he basically found is that American teenagers, when it comes to their religion, are completely inarticulate. Like, they can't explain to you basically anything, and it's really bad in the church, like with Christian kids. You ask them uh, about Jesus, and maybe they get a couple cliches out. Oh, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Okay, well, what does that mean? Like, I mean, there's a little bit more to that, right? Right. 
uh, and they don't, they don't, they don't know. You ask them, hey, list for me, just list for me. Uh, you don't even have to define it, but just list for me the attributes of God. And when I do this with high school students, Christian high school students, they'll list maybe five or six, and then they're like, you know, beating their brain to think, okay, well, what other ones are there? And they only get, they only can get five or six or seven, you know, attributes. Attributes are just characteristics of who God is. And if you look at any, like, just basic theology book, there's going to be 20 to 25. So their knowledge of God is so little. No wonder so many Christian young people are not passionate about their faith because they don't, don't there's nothing to it. I mean, if you think about it, here's an analogy. If I said, uh, if you said, hey, uh, Brett, um, tell me about your wife, right? It's like, oh, yeah, my wife. Well, uh, my wife is, um, she's got brown hair. Uh, she's five six. Uh, she's got two eyeballs. You know, you're like, no, 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 no. Don't really tell me about your wife. And I said, ah, that's about all I got. What would you conclude about my relationship with her? You'd be like, there's not much relationship. There's there, yeah. yeah, there's nothing there. Uh, it's, or it's really, it's really shallow. Mm-hmm. And that, sadly, is where a lot of our young people are at. What? Why do you think? What's 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 the deal? Are they just like not getting taught? Are they just like disconnected? What What's up with them? That oh, you've gosh. come across it as that's, you've talked to that, That's a big, big question. I think there's multiple reasons. I think part of it has to go back to you, you can study like the history of philosophy for the last 300 years and see how that's influenced, how Western civilization and these philosophical ideas that started in the academy and the ivory tower trickle down into our culture. There's, I think there's some bad ideas. And one of the bad ideas is that there's this division of truth. There's the subjective private truth and the objective public facts, right? And so the things that are objective truths, that are facts, that have to do with knowledge, well, that's science and that's law and that's business and, you know, these public things. Private stuff, private truths, your personal private truth, well, that's, that's religion, and that's morality. And so those are, you can have your own private truth. This is what the world says, this is the culture right. says. You can have your own private truth. Um, just don't, don't bring it out of that private level, right? And, um, and so there's been this division between knowledge and faith. Like, okay, faith has nothing to do with knowledge according to our culture and according to most Christians, and we bought that. Right. We're like, yeah, okay, it's really about me and my personal relationship with Jesus and how Jesus really makes me feel at the end of the day. And it's become so feeling-oriented and so anti-intellectual, so anti-rational. And the, the, the true vision of Christianity is that it's, it's, a, it's a knowledge. I mean, the New Testament actually talks more about knowledge than it does about faith. There's a huge emphasis on knowledge. In fact, there's a huge emphasis on evidence and fact. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he's like, if Jesus did not rise from the dead— like, if this is not true, he says, your faith is worthless. He's like, you should be pitied because you believe in something that's not true. And what Paul does is he takes our faith and he t- attaches it to fact. And if this is not historical fact, then get out of here. Don't right. waste your time. Anyway, I think we're I was really off base in how we even conceive of the Christian life. And, um, and so there's other, other things. And then this is, so, so this is the kind of the, the shallow faith that we're passing along to right. our young people. So I don't blame our young people. Man, it is us leaders who have passed this kind of shallow faith on. I, I also have seen a lot of stuff that happens too is um, there's like, you know, when they're teaching these students or whatever, there's more like entertainment than even like yeah. 
there's a lot of entertainment now and like yeah let's make sure that you know the, yeah. the high school groups like having a good time we want a lot of kids and you yeah. know but yeah. there's no again there's no knowledge it's like entertainment yeah i think in youth ministry yeah. we're kind of stuck in the 80s like that was like the <laughs> right that's i mean like the entertainment model and i i I hate beating up on the church because I love the church. But no, we're we're here just so you know this show. We're here because we love the church and I yes. want to see great things happen. Yes. So any way bringing guys like you in and different people to inspire people to be amazing and take the world yeah. by storm for Jesus. That's yeah. why we're here. We we just we got to be more reflective and we got to think. And I, I I think yeah, youth ministry hasn't changed a lot since the '80s, and it's kind of that entertainment model. Pizza, games, short inspirational talk kind of thing. Hey, and if I got big numbers, that's success. Right, numbers. Yeah, and we look, but you look at the culture. I just looked at another study, and you just constantly hear these studies where uh, the the percentage between, it was like 2003 or 2006, uh, and today, how many people identify as Protestant Christians? And the numbers just keep plummeting. And, and, And amongst young people, like millennials, Gen Zers, you know, kind of the 30 and under crowd, I mean, more and more of them affiliate with no religion. That's that's what they want. Like they, they, we call them the nuns. N O N E S. That's right. It's like no, you know. So um, obviously, things you know, we're we're not doing well in the culture. We're losing even our own students who grow up in our churches when they go off to college and or even high now school. Now we're losing them in high school now, right? Yeah, like I think so. Yeah. I think in junior high and high school, um, and part of it has to do with screens and technology and that kind of stuff. Well, let's 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 talk about that a little bit. So why is that? So um, it's no secret, and, and most young people you talk to, they're, they're going to admit it. Like so much of their life is lived in front of a glowing rectangle, right? Um, in fact, think about it. We carry these glowing rectangles around with us 24-7. Smartphones, uh, iPads, laptops. We got you know multiple screens in every home, every bedroom, we're constantly confronted by the screen. And I think what the screen does, what we really have to think about is when it comes to life and the big questions of life, uh, who answers those questions for us? Like, who's our authority? And, and that, that, now I think that question takes a little time to think about and, and, and process a little bit. But I think if we're going to be honest, for our culture, for American culture, uh, we have given so much authority to a screen. Like our screen, so here's what happens. The screens stage the world for us. They put up images and videos, and, and we see this stuff day in and day out, right? Technology is omnipresent. It's all around us. We see it all day. In fact, Gen Zers and millennials admit to spending about six hours a day on their smartphones. Six hours a day on their smartphones, right? So, and this thing... Woo! That's a lot. Yeah, it's insane. This thing is staging the world. What do I mean by that? I mean, it is it is, it is telling us how we should be. It's te- I mean, just think about it. You scroll, you're scrolling through Instagram, right? And you're just looking at pictures. And you're seeing pictures. And people are posting what, what they think is valuable, what they, what they value, what they think is of worth what they think is important, and you're just watching that. And it's, of course, you're not thinking this. You're not thinking, oh, right now I'm being influenced, right? I'm being, I'm being told what I should be doing. But that's what's happening. It's wow. staging the world. And then as it stages the world, it's telling us this is the way it should be. 
So for instance, right, um, teenage girls, they're scrolling through things. Uh, they're seeing their friends put up pictures. And they're seeing things like when they put up a, a picture that's more of a sexy picture, a little risque or whatever, yeah. they're getting more likes. They're getting more comments, right? You know, people are, you know, throwing up the uh, the fire emoji, right? This is lit. That's like, that's like, that's like the, I've seen jokes on Instagram where like, oh, I didn't get enough likes. Let me take off more clothes. Yeah, exactly. You know, for girls. But, and, and so, but that's, that gets likes. That, and that, so it gets reinforced. And then, um, and, and so it's staging the world from it's putting pressure on them, you know, beautiful, gorgeous, sexy. Those are the kind of responses now, mm-hmm. you, you know, one, one is looking for because that's, the world is telling us, well, that's that's what you want. Yeah, that's what you want. So it's sta- so this screen stages the world. It, it, so it's the authority, and it tells us how we ought to live, how we ought to be in this world. I was going to say, now it's changing those girls that weren't like that. Now they're going in that way just because that's what the world's yeah, telling. Yeah, it's slowly over time. It's you know, it's, you're not going to look at one post and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to you know do this. It's it's the thousands of posts over time. Think about. Uh, you know, how a termite destroys a house. Like, you you don't even notice it at first. And it could actually be years before you ever discover there are termites in your house and you got to deal with the problem. But by that time, there's damage that's done. That's that's what's going on here in the same way. It's just slow and steady. It's just the slow, steady movement of our culture. And all of a sudden, 15 years down the road, you've spent, you know, six hours a day on social media being shaped by it and formed by it and and now we're seeing these studies on anxiety and depression. I think you might have said this quote or someone else, but I think it was you. You said something about social media can either like it could either like build you up or it could like destroy your soul. Was that you or something? Yeah, yeah, actually that was how I kind of opened that talk is I wanted students to like wake up. And well, I said it it can be soul corrupting. Yes. This thing, this screen, yes. and I'm not just talking to students. This is me. This is you. This is adults. I see it with adults as well. That's I, everyone. I struggle with it too. Yes. This thing can corrupt my soul. It can corrupt your soul over time. And people think, it might, they might respond and be like, that's kind of an overstatement. It's not. not and even. the studies are coming out on this. And so okay. here's, here would be my piece of homework for anyone who's listening who's like, I don't know about that. Do a Google search for an article entitled, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? It's written by a, a psychologist. Her name is Jean Twenge, T-W-E-N-G-E, Jean Twenge. It's on The Atlantic. It's You can find it online. And she, I'll just, just summarize. She yeah. talks about how we're on screens all the time. And the, 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 like the percentage of young people who have screens now and the correlation with what she says. She says iGen or Gen Z, kind of the 20 and under crowd. Yeah. She said they're on the, wor- the, the, the brink of the worst mental health crisis in really? decades. That's a quote from her. The, they're on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. And, and um, when, when, did, when did this uh, article come out? This was last September. Okay. And that was yeah. a year ago, right? Yeah, so um, that and – and there's all kinds of other things we could look at. I mean – What else um, does she say? Just a couple more things. She Well, she talked about how there's a connection with smartphones. And now what you have is young people who spend literally like all day in the summer when they're off of school. Instead of like being out with friends, yeah. instead they're – all day they're in their room on their smartphone. And, um, and, and, 
And so we're seeing this correlation between that. We're seeing how the rise of depression and anxiety, and I mean, you can look at, there's all kinds of different studies, but you can look at things like uh, the, the more hours per day you spend on social media, social media and a smartphone, uh, the greater risk you are for depression and anxiety. If you, for thing, like, uh, things like going to bed with your smartphone. If you take your, your smartphone into bed with you or you know, a screen into bed with you, then your rates of depression correlate with higher rates. Um, it just when you live your life more on the screen, uh, we're just seeing it, uh, its impact. And you know what? This this is something that I wrestle with with my own kids. Um, you know, we've had some hard to heart conversations with our own kids about some of their struggles with of seeing other things that people are posting, and and that you know that uh, that hashtag FOMO. Right, fear of missing out. Like fear that's a real. Out. That's real fear for a lot of these students. They see this stuff and they 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 they, they think they're missing out on things. They're missing out on all this good stuff. And of course, what are people posting? Oh, they went to the school dance, or they went out to dinner, and they're eating this good food, or they had this great vacation. It's all the highlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, what you and but so then that represents reality, or that that that's that's our perception of reality. Right. It's it's not a real reality. Because you're not seeing actually all those moments when the person's alone or bored, or you're not actually even seeing that the student who just posted that picture of being out at the movies or hanging out with all their friends, when they, that moment that they posted that picture, that they, they were actually in their bedroom, bored, and they were looking at other people's pictures going, man, I'm missing out. No one's hanging out with me. My life sucks. And so they go and they get an old picture and post that. 100%. Even though the, and so they're, they're kind of lying about what they're doing to try and... No. They stage the, you know, like they even said with the Gen Zs, is like they're staging. It's it's they're they're staging their. Uh, it's it's like a brand. They're 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 creating this brand, this look, Instagram. Yeah. Of of what life is, but it's not it's not real. Yeah, and so so, so here's a way to think about this because yeah. I think that's a huge point right there. Uh, I think social media and the screen, particularly so the, the platform of social media, right? So whether we're talking about Snapchat or Instagram or you know Twitter or whatever, uh, there um, there are certain lies that these social media platforms kind of tell. They can tell us that when we buy into them, it impacts our souls. So, for instance, one of them, one of those lies is, I am who I uh, represent myself to be. Right. I am who other people uh, – I am the, the person that the people see. And so we construct this like online identity, right? So we're thinking about what we post uh, and, and we – and think about – you know, students will totally relate to this. Think about how many times you take that selfie or that, or that group picture or whatever. Like how many photos will you take so you get the right one? Right, so I'm going to take 30 of them, uh, so I can get that just that right angle. And um, if it does, if I don't look good enough, I'm not going to post it. Uh, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of effort into kind of curating this online identity. And then here's think about the whole system of likes and followers. That just reinforces stuff. So if someone likes my, you know, I threw up this picture. People like I threw up this picture. Not too many people liked it. So we don't really want to go in that direction. That's right. Yeah. That informs you. So I'm going to start posting more on this kind of stuff. And uh, it starts forming you. It starts forming your identity. And, and so students will post a picture. It won't get enough likes. 
and it, it actually impacts how they feel about themselves. So what do they do? Delete, right? They delete the picture because they don't want a picture up that doesn't have that many likes because what's going to happen is their identity gets tied into something like this. Dang, yeah. You so know? true. So, um, and, and they can create this whole false identity. And, uh, and they can, you know, it, it gets reinforced by followers and likes. Um, so that's one of the lies. Another lie I think that it tells us is that, you know, I'm the center of the, I'm the center of my own universe, right? When it comes to, uh, life, uh, you think about technology, it really is now more centered on us. It's all about us. Yeah. Yeah. You, th- you think about it. Students today, they, they, they don't realize that, you know, these things, phones, yeah. Before they were ever smartphones, we had phones, and they had this little thing attached to it. Like, I, like I think you and I know what these are. Like, it was a, we called them cords, mm-hmm. right? This right. is like a phone cord, and you, you had to go to a particular location in the house where there was a phone with a phone attached to a phone line and a phone cord, mm-hmm. and you had to go to that particular place, and so you had to go to it. And then call, and you, you know, you're there in the whatever the family room or the the kitchen where other people could hear you. Now, think about it. this thing is tailored to you. It goes with you now. You don't go to it; it comes with you. And then there's all these now apps, and there's all this stuff that it's catering to your needs. And, um, and that's that's why it's so. That's why people are so addicted to it. Yeah, it gets addicted, and oh. then it tells us that we're the center of the universe. We are actually going, I got lost. We're going to a two-minute break. We'll be right back with Brett. We'll see you right after the break. More live with Ryan Reese coming up. Is everything all right? Call now, 1-888-564-6173. Or post your questions using the hashtag LiveRyanReese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Uh, I think I speak for the entire administration when I say whoop de doo now, back to live with Ryan Reese. Don't say we didn't warn you. Loud noises! We are Brett with Brett Con- we are back with Brett Conkel in studio from uh, Maven. And we've just been talking about the effects of uh, technology. This is what he does for a living. His whole focus is to pour into middle school, high school, which we call them the Gen Z. And uh, even the millennials and get them equipped with apologetics and just uh, information so they could... Uh, Basically, they can follow God and they can live out that purpose that they were created for and not get fooled by the ideas of the world and get distracted, but to get focused and get the uh, tools that they need. So before the break, we were just talking about the, you know, you were talking about the whole cell phone, how it's, it's, uh, it's catered to uh, these students, that they're getting all the apps, they're sleeping with it in their bed, it's affecting uh, their psyche. No, go ahead and let's continue with that. Yeah, so it, 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 and this is one of the ways that it influences us, is it tells us these lies. Um, it tells us that we, uh, think about it, I must have choices, and I can't be happy if I don't have choices, right? So everything has a drop-down menu. Everything's got a drop-down menu. Everything has options. And so we get kind of addicted to this choice. In fact, what happens is we now think that in order for me to be happy, I have to have choices, right? And I see this with, um, like, just at home with my kids, like the other night. I was talking to my kids, and I was going to take them out to dinner. Mom was out of town, so I was like, hey, let's go out to dinner. Uh, where do you guys want to go? And we get a couple different suggestions. So then I said, okay, let's narrow it down to three. 
right? And we got three choices, and it was crazy. I, f- four of my kids are at home, and th- there was definitely everyone chose like a different option. Um, and then one of the kids was like, ah, whatever. Who so, chose In-N-Out Burger though? We, uh, that wasn't even on the list. <laughs> that wasn't. <laughs> no, because uh, we we were going big, like we were like talking yeah. Spaghetti Factory, yeah, right? Yeah. So, anyway, but when we kind of honed in on one place, we had to pick one place. You could just see the other kids, and we're talking good places. So we ended up going to the Spaghetti Factory. It was right. this killer place. Yeah, a couple of the kids were like, oh, you know. And I, I said to him, I, so, so I said, are you, so you're not happy that we're going to go have a really good dinner at Spaghetti Factory now? Is that what you're saying? Like with your reaction? And, um, and, and think about it. I mean, we're going to go eat really good food and you're unhappy about that. Why is that? Why is that? Because you've been shaped by a culture that tells you if you don't get your choice, what you want right now at this moment, then you can't be happy. And it leads to ungratefulness and unthankfulness and discontentment. That's interesting. And that's a recipe for anxiety and depression and unhappiness. And so, I mean, those, that's, the, that's how this thing can shape us. And so it's so subtle, right? It's so subtle, but over time, that shapes us. And so now here's what parents do. Like, so let me talk to the parents for a second. So what parents will do is, you know, two or three kids at home, uh, people want different things. So now I hear about these parents who will c- even cook different meals for different kids to make them all happy. Or, you know, if they're going to go out, f- whatever, for fast food or something, they'll go to multiple places Dang. to make everyone happy. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong yeah. to do that in and of itself. Yeah. But I want, number one, for us to see how culture shapes us and influences us to do things. Number two, if you're doing that all the time, then what we're teaching our young people is that you can't be happy without choice. And, um, and so, and, and, and then there's this, you know, I think another influence is that students that are always thinking, they're, they're always kind of holding off on decisions. They're not seizing the moment. They're, they're kind of waiting for that next best thing. Like, well, there's got to be a better choice that's coming. You know, a newer uh, choice that uh, I'm, I'm going to wait for. And, um, and so then they don't seize the opportunities that are in front of them as well, and they miss out on some really good things. Another lie from social media is that others must see me, right? Think about it. Social media is constantly inviting you to display yourself. Again, not that it's wrong. I want to be clear here. Yeah. People don't understand. I'm not saying that using a smartphone or using a screen or using a social media platform is wrong in and of itself. I've, I mean, I've got them, right? right? You, you can check out our social media and that kind of thing. I'm just, here's what I want to do. I want to say, even though it's not wrong or immoral or sinful or something like that, it's also not neutral. It's not neutral, meaning just by using it, it can shape you. Just by using this thing, it can shape you. And that's, it does that by staging the world for us. And so it's constantly inviting us to post. Yeah, it could shape you. Let's talk about that for a second. It could shape you because whatever you're looking at, will shape you. So you get on and you start watching, say, just a bunch of, like, fight videos. Next thing you know, I mean, if you're watching fight videos, it's, you're going to start getting more aggressive. and it's, It desensitizes it's, it's, you. It's gonna, yeah, it's going to start shaping you. Or, hey, you start watching that, like, start watching some pornographic stuff. Start look, watching porn. Oh, yeah. That is going to start shaping you. Because people go, Absolutely. how is social media and technology going to shape you? Exactly that. Start watching that stuff, and you're going to go into that direction. Whatever you start looking at, the eye is the light to the body. 
Whatever you start looking at that goes right into your heart and comes out. That's what you become. Yeah. You are what you eat in a sense. And if you're eating that stuff from technology, you become that. Yeah. It does I mean, shape you. Yeah. yeah you, I mean, that whole issue of porn mm-hmm. with, with this thing. Yes. You want to talk about that a little bit? That's I mean, a big issue. Think about that. What, what, what we do is we put into the hands of our young people uh, uh, unmitigated or, you know, unfettered, unrestrained access to por- pornography and we say, don't look, don't look, don't look. It's like throw, like back in the day, it'd be like throwing a bunch of a duffel bag of por- pornography mags in their yeah. room and say, don't look at them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. I'm going um, old school '80s. Yeah, you went, you went '80s, so I'm taking you there. <laughs> yeah, and, and and what we're finding now, I mean, this is a social experiment yeah. that's never been tried before. Now we're trying it, and we're seeing devastating results. In fact, Time Magazine last year had a uh, a piece on young men now who have grown up for the last 10 or 15 years on porn, mm-hmm. easy access online, watch it all the time, totally addicted, and now they cannot, they, and they talk about how they can't function sexually with real women anymore. It's actually what happened is porn ruined sex for them. Um, and, and Because and, they can't even get excited with girls they, anymore. No, the real, no, and it's destroyed their sexuality. And it just goes to show, like, Look, if there, there's a way that God has designed us, and when you follow his design plan, yeah. it leads to goodness and flourishing, right. you know. So, um, so pornography is just a— Because a lot of, um, you know, when I talk about this stuff in the high schools or, where, you know, wherever I talk about it, you know, the, the students, they laugh. But, I've, you know, I've even seen mainstream magazines like, like GQ and different people— they are they are saying that there is major problems. So it's not like the just just so listeners know, this is not just a Christian world. This is the mainstream, not the secular world saying there is an issue. People are getting affected and they can't even uh, they can't even interact with with a woman. It's, yeah, there's, it's, it's done. There's some more voices that are kind of speaking out on this. Yeah, and it's 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 a question of reality. And again, I mean, it, what's the source of all reality? If the source of all reality is God. If he's our designer, then again, um, his views on reality are going to be the right views. And what he says about human sexuality is uh, often, of course, the Christian view of sexuality gets kind of, uh, you know, made fun of or mocked or whatever. But if if God's the designer of human sexuality, then he knows the yes. best way yeah. for us to live with this thing. And and. And it's beyond, it's again, it's not just a no, 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 no. It's like how we characterize uh, Christianity a lot, it, but it's actually a yes. Like God says uh, no to certain things so that you can actually say yes to better things, more beautiful things, more, ri- you know, fulfilling things. So, um, yeah, so we, I want to keep talking about this, but I'm going to let the listeners know in a couple minutes, we're going to talk about what we can do to combat these things and to move forward. So yeah, let me give a couple more lies here. Think about this one. Here's a lie that we're tempted by with social media. Uh, I don't have to deal with you. Right. I don't have to deal with you. You know what? You said something I don't like. You made a comment. I don't like you. You posted something I didn't like. Unfollow. Right. Uh, Block, mute, whatever. And, and, and so if someone does something or says something we don't like, then we are conditioned by social media to just unfriend them, unfollow them. It's much easier to just abandon the relationship, abandon the person, 
than to kind of go through that difficult, demanding relationship. And that, and so what happens is when we get conditioned by that, it spills over into real life. And so young people are, are, are admitting that they have a tough time sustaining friendships and relationships. Yeah. And when there's conflict, they're, they're out, right? Uh, and then think about, think about someone who's been conditioned by that for 25 years and then decides to get into a marriage relationship. <laughs> The most difficult relationship there is. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no unfriending or unfollowing at that <laughs> point unless you're going to call it quits. And, um, and but, but we've been, again, we've been molded relationally by that whole thing. It's interesting. And so these are the, you know, these are the kind of lies. And then what we see is normal for everyone. Like what I, what I'm scrolling through, what I'm seeing is normal for everyone. And, but think about it. If you think about the, the kind of the, the slice, the the, the, the the small percentage of people who are on kind of social media, it's typically affluent, middle class, upper class, Westerners. So much of the world is not represented on social media. And so it gives us a false perception of reality. And we think, oh, uh, you know, the good life consists of clothes and celebrity status and food and vacations. And that's just not how the vast majority of people live but this again shapes our view of reality and is i mean think yeah. about that because i mean you got to have you got you got to have money to be able to get a smartphone yeah pay the bills for, for it you got to have something and yeah. a lot of yeah most of the world doesn't you know yeah so those those are the things that social media can tell us that can shape us so what can we do well there's a number of things you can do um number one i'd say if you are if you are someone who's a follower of christ the first thing you can do is you can ask what you can ask the right questions. And the right question <clears throat> that I should ask about my phone or my laptop or any screen is how does this thing help me to love God and serve my neighbor? Right? I mean, that's what Jesus said, the great commandment. Right. Love God and love your neighbors yourself. So how can this thing help me serve others? Because I want to say, hey, there is great potential, not just for bad and for evil, but for good. There's great potential for good here in this technology. Yeah. So how can we use that? And There's so, no in between. It's either good or bad. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and there's different degrees of impact, yeah. goodness and, and, and badness, right? Yeah, totally. But it's not, again, it's not neutral. It's but not we neutral. don't want to say... Hey, just throw. I'm not saying throw your screens out the door yeah. for for good, because there's some great good that we can do. So the the very first thing we do as a follower of Jesus Christ is we come to the table and say, okay, let me just ask certain questions. Now think about it. In the culture, the culture is not, of course, asking that questions. The culture says the the, the cultural questions are, hey, what um, will make life more convenient? What will make me happy? What is you know those those are the questions of the culture. And we just simply adopt those things. So the reason, the only reason someone might buy us, you know, an upgraded iPhone or whatever is because it's got new features. And well, as actually as a follower of Christ, that may not be good enough reasons for me to do that. I got to think about deeper questions. So I think we got to start with even just thinking about asking different questions about this stuff and saying, okay, how can this thing help me? How will it help me love God? and love my neighbors. So we start with the right questions, and then we become the right kind of people. 
Because there's no set of rules, no list of rules that we could create that's exhaustive, that covers everything. We have to also be thinking about, okay, who are we becoming on the inside? Like things like character and goodness. And, um, you know, so what kind of people are we becoming? You know, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, 22, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Are these things, am I growing in these kind of things? Because ultimately, it's those inner, that inner character that's going to help me have self-control when there's no external rules, when mom and dad aren't there. Okay, so those are are huge things. But very practically, um, some things that we can do just really practically is, number one, we need to unplug regularly. Like, unplug from from screens on a regular basis. How long? Like, what, what, what do you think? I would what say, like? okay, so f- I would say start with just a day from morning to nighttime. And so I guess till the Are next you morning. crazy? I know. That's, <laughs> I, get st- what's cra- what's, I get students who look at me when I suggest that. And I can see it on their faces. Like, are you crazy? No way. And I tell them the the amount of resistance you have to me even suggesting that reveals yeah. that you're addicted to that thing. Yep. That thing controls you. You don't control it, right? And so for those who would struggle with that, I'd say do it in groups. Do it with a friend. Uh, t- take a break. Unplug with a friend or a group of friends who we're in, and you say okay. And maybe maybe start with a half a day. Start yeah. with certain hours. Start with a four-hour period. It's like fasting. Yeah, exactly. Start with a meal. That's right. <laughs> start with a couple hours. That's right. Don't go on a 40-day <laughs> fast, right? Exactly. Um, so unplug regularly. And you can do that in different ways. It can be uh, certain hours or t- a time frame. And ultimately, I think what would be really healthy for our souls mm-hmm. is if all of us took like a weekly break, right? Took like a Sabbath, took a, took a, took a, a whole day every week just to unplug. From every, from all of it, um, but then you could have screen-free locations. So, like in our house, one thing that we do is at dinner time, at meals, we have a general rule. And of course, the other every once in a while, there's an exception for whatever reason. But yeah. generally speaking, we sit down for dinner. There's no screens. Zero. Yeah. No screens. And I even try not to have it on me. I'll, I'll try to put it up on a little counter we have. Because um, if it's in my pocket, then it's buzzing, yeah. and it's, it's it's a distraction. So if we can get those things out of there, um, the the dinner table is a screen free. Or if we're out to dinner, or if we're out for a snack, or whatever, late night in and out run, we're no screens at the table, no phones at the table, That's or they're good. turned off. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, if you go out, to, so here's a practical way to do this with your friends and your buddies: um, do a do do a phone stack. Right. If you're the phone stack where everyone takes their phone and you can put it on on vibrate or whatever and you stack them and, at, during a meal. And if anyone, the first person who reaches and grabs their phone before the end of the meal, before you guys are done, has to pay for everyone's meal. That'll stop you from you know getting your phone. And then you're not looking at your phone. You're actually engaging with one another. Yeah. There's eye contact. There's you, it's an opportunity to go deeper in relationship with one another and get to know. You know, relationships people. have got shallow because oh, yeah. I mean I'm I'm not talking about anyone. I'm just even talking about myself, dude. I could be at dinner with my wife or my friend, and we're hanging out, and all of a sudden now I'm like getting texts 
or whatever. I'm looking at stuff and I'm like, I'm, what am I even doing at dinner? Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. It, 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 it cuts us off from really developing deep relationships and friendships, yeah. which is what we need as human beings. That's what, how we God created us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So unplug, screen-free locations, screen-free hours, screen-free days. Just figure out ways to unplug. Um, I would say, uh, you know, and sometimes you do need to unplug. You just need to take a, a long break. Yeah. So I know some, you know, high school students uh, in my my home home church youth group here in Southern California who have just kind of dumped certain social media platforms. Said, you know what, I'm off Instagram for a while. I'm just going to shut it down for a, a few months. And uh, and they've you know talked about things like that. So sometimes you got to do that too. Uh, you know, especially I've had some people do that. Yeah, it, it, in I would say test yourself. You want to see the power it has over you. Take a break, and when you really struggle with that, that'll tell you you need to take a break and you need to take more breaks. I even heard uh, of someone saying that they would only check their Instagram one time a day, like before they go to bed. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's yeah, that's, that's also that's a great way to limit it and its influence on you. Um, I'd say turn. Here's a real basic one: turn off your notifications. Oh, don't let the thing. Sure. You know, call out to you every single second of the day. Turn off all your notifications. The only notifications I have are for phone calls and texts. Um, otherwise, every social media platform uh, notification is off because I know how this thing can control me. And I don't want it to control me. I want to control it. Yeah. So turn off notifications. Um, I would say uh, – if you've got the kind of relationship with like a mentor or your parents or a good friend where they can help you set some ground rules. So uh, with my with my kids, uh, my daughter got a smartphone. Uh, she's 15. Uh, she got it, I don't know, I don't know, it was a year ago or so where she got, you know, kind of a full-blown smartphone. And we, I came up with a, a contract. It's like a two-page contract where it spells out some of the rules and guidelines, but also the why, because yeah. I want I want my kids to know there's a why behind this. There's not just a, a rule, but there's there's reasons why. And I always give my kids the opportunity if if they think my rules um, are off base, they don't like them, they can always give me a reason why they think I'm off base. Right, and That's I'll cool. I'll try my very best to listen. And if they're reasonable. If they've got better reasons than I do, I want to be just, uh, you know, willing and humble enough to say, okay, let's change this rule. This rule doesn't need to be here. You gave me good reasons why I shouldn't have this rule. But so they know we can have that conversation. So we laid out this contract with the the what's and the why and things like don't, you know, don't take your your phone to bed. You can never have your phone in bed with you. Because I've looked at the studies. I know what that correlates. I know the temptation to be on, you know, line even, you know, more. I've I've read a couple of those too. Yeah, and so uh, things like that. And and then I had her, uh, you know, look over it. And if she'd agreed to it, then um, I was like, all right, we'll we'll, we'll do this, you know. Now, with that said, have you ever heard of – I was coming back. We have like five minutes left before that show ends. But um, I was flying back from Florida or something, and I was sitting next to this parent and her – and her daughter, we were talking, and they're from Texas, and she was, you know, she was complaining to me that her daughter's, you know, just being, you know, she's 12 years old, just, you know, doing her thing. And she's like, yeah, you know, if she just keeps acting like this. I'm just going to, I'm going to just turn off all of her apps. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, I have an app that actually controls her phone. Mm-hmm. So basically she has full access over her phone to, like, shut it down. 
So the way she uses it is like, hey, you know, if everything's cool, we're doing good. You know, you could use your apps or like if she's on restriction or or if it gets to a point where she can only use her phone certain hours, it's open from this time. Like it turns on from like after school to like 5 p.m. And then it all shuts down. It races all the apps on her phone. Have you ever heard about those apps? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen I've seen some of those. And I think those are pretty interesting. They can be a great tool. I think the thing you want to do is and this is where these kind of conversations are happen when, when they happen up front. Like they're, they're, yeah. they're, you know, because they set the expectations, right? So I made a mistake with my oldest daughter, you know, giving her her cell phone and then just kind of th- like saying, hey, go for it. Like get all the social media you want, you know, do whatever. And then realize, oh, she's, you know, as a junior hire, she's having trouble managing this and starting to pull it back in. Yeah. Then it's like, well, she already had it. And now she, I'm asking her to give it up. That yeah. makes it a challenging thing. But at the end of the day, a parent... Um, who loves their kids sometimes has to do the tough things, and that might be shutting down the phone, whether it's using an app or or actually taking the phone, you know, that kind of thing. And this is where students, where where and all of us need to think about like, hey, these kind of things are privileges; they're yeah. not rights. These are privileges, and especially if, um, gosh, if someone else has gifted it to me, and they're they're paying for it for me. Um, and, uh, th- I mean, that's, that's, that's a gift. These, these are, these are like serious issues as I have kids that are, that are growing up. I mean, I just think about phones like a gun almost. It's like, it could kill you. It could destroy your, it kill your soul, basically destroy your soul. It's like, we got to be careful. You get, uh, you get the phone into a kid and you don't have rules set up. I mean, dude, they, they, they just start getting involved in certain things they start seeing. I mean, it will, like you said, there's no in-between. Yeah, the, so, the social science proves this. Yeah, there's just too many fa- people. Might, the facts are out there. The facts are there. This and, thing yeah. will not meet your deepest needs and desires. Yeah. No technology ever can. Only a person can. We have one minute left. Any uh, last words? Uh, wake up. Wake up. The, the, the social media and technology has a huge impact on our, of course, our culture and our society, but also on us personally. And um, and I would say, uh, and I am starting to hear some of this from some students who are kind of pushing back and saying, wait, wait a second, okay, we've kind of had this experiment now for you know however many years that we've had smartphones in particular, right? And they're they're starting to say, wait a second, we're you know we've kind of just been handed this. And and it's and it's just been like baptized as hey it's good just go for it, go with it and and students are saying no actually we're seeing some stuff from this and unfortunately it's going to take some some wrecked lives to wake us up but um, at the very least if students can can sit back and go wait I think I need to take a deeper look at this uh, yeah it's because- true because we like again we've been given it and now and there's been no studies. So it just unleashed, but now there's there's enough information that uh, I mean I have a one student. He's one of my friends' uh, sons. He uh, he was in high school and and he was in, you know in into social media and the phone was basically controlling his life. And he started hearing the whosoever's kill the noise message about you know kill the noise is basically yeah. disconnect and tune into God. Um, and basically, what happens? He disconnected and literally. He ended up becoming the uh, UFC, uh, not UFC, um, uh, the, the wrestler, uh, state champion wrestler, because he disconnected and tuned into God. Yeah. Thank you, Brett, for being on the show. And, uh, dude, I got to have you back. 
ASAP. I'm, I'd love to come back. This is a great conversation. This has been Live with Ryan Reese. To connect or find out more about Ryan, click on ryan-reese.com. Check us out next Saturday at 9 p.m. for Live with Ryan Reese.